0: And so people started coming into the church and started coming in contact with Christians because the changed lives of their sons and daughters who'd come to Christ and got off drugs.
1: Welcome to the Serve Asia podcast, where you'll hear interviews and stories about Jesus, East Asia, and where you might fit in. Today we continue our series, getting to know some of those who make up the OMF team here in the UK. So without any more introduction, over to the conversation that I had with one of the team earlier. I'm joined by Trevor, by the wonders of technology, so let's hope that that holds up this afternoon. We'd usually spend most of the working week in the same building, but continuing social distancing measures and those sorts of things mean working remotely remains pretty much the norm for us both. Um, But it's good to see you this afternoon, Trevor. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing well, thanks, Chris. Good to see you as well.
1: Great. Well, thank you for joining us on the podcast. And to kick us off, uh, to give us a little bit of flavor uh, of the man that we're speaking to this afternoon, we've got three quick fire questions. Uh, for you. Uh, Really, the only rules of these questions is you have to give one of the two answers um, and the quicker you give them, the better it works. Okay, so the first theme is holidays. You're going on holiday. Do you pick the beach holiday or the sightseeing holiday?
0: Uh, Sightseeing.
1: You're ordering your food in a restaurant. Do you pick the chunky chips or the skinny fries?
0: Oh, chunky chips, definitely.
1: And uh, it's movie night. I think I know the answer to this one, but it's movie night. Do you go sci-fi? or rom-com?
0: Oh, sci-fi, definitely.
1: (laughs) Great. So there's a little bit of a a taste of who Trevor is. Um, And Trevor, one other question. Um, Can you tell us a bit about maybe a, a book that you're reading at the moment and enjoying?
0: Yeah, so I'm actually reading a book called Gulag, which is a historical overview of the Gulag Soviet prison camp system. So it's a historical investigation um, by an author called uh, Anna Applebrum. So I'm really enjoying that because I love history as well as uh, having lived in Russia for a number of years.
1: Great, well, maybe I'll put a link to that in the show notes if people are, are inclined to find out more about the the history of, of Russia and, and other things um, after this conversation. Great, well, thanks Trevor. So now to, um, yeah, so the, the meat of the podcast really. Um, Trevor, your accent has perhaps given part of the answer away to the next question. Um, But I just wonder if you could tell us a little bit about about where you grew up uh, and what that was like.
0: Sure. So I'm originally from Oma in Northern Ireland, uh, where I grew up. Uh, Both my parents were teachers. My dad was a maths teacher in the local grammar school. So uh, I grew up there. It's a small farming community, about 20,000 people, lots of farm around, so quite rural setting, and fairly, I guess, um, typical background for that part of the country was uh, was good academically, so I enjoyed going to school, but also had lots of neighbours who were on the farms, I had various relatives who had farms, so I was quite uh, often on farms as well, and had an understanding of that side of life. Cool,
1: sounds really exciting, and, uh, and, and in amongst growing up in rural Um, northern ireland and uh, enjoying school and and having friends and and community how uh, did you come to hear about jesus and decide to put your your faith in him
0: sure so i grew up going to a methodist church um, although i wasn't a believer in the early years of my life and i remember maybe about 10 or 11 hearing the gospel in the church but still didn't give my life to jesus Then when I was about 12 years old, my sister uh, gave her life to Jesus. And there was a thing at that time in the area where I lived called Coffee Bars. And this was an event in the evening, usually on a weekend, where um, you had coffee, obviously the coffee bar. But uh, there was a (laughs) band playing and then somebody uh, sharing part of scripture, usually a very direct gospel presentation and so my sister was involved in, in these groups and kept inviting me and for about a year i said no i'm not going to go and then finally i said okay i'll go once if you um stop asking so i went uh that night to this coffee bar and the man was preaching on hell and i was so convicted that i was going to hell that night without jesus that i gave my life to the lord that night so yeah 13 years old and yeah
1: wow that's um, yeah. It's really exciting to hear, and uh, isn't it great when we have persistent friends and relatives who just keep um, <laughs> wanting to get us to hear the good news?
0: I know. Yes, I know. And it's like yes, through a sister in my case coming to know Jesus, and, and uh, that's a testimony of many other people as well. So.
1: And and kind of growing up in in that culture, and, and I guess in, it, it sounds like a an environment where sort of making Jesus known was, was, was a part of, of life and people were involved in that kind of work. Um, when did you start to see that the good news of Jesus wasn't just for you, um, it wasn't even maybe just for your neighbourhood, but that it was actually good news for the whole world? When, when was that something that you started coming across?
0: Yeah, so I guess a little bit near the end of the time that I was in Oma, before I started, uh, went to university, I was hearing a little bit about other parts of the world But it was really only when I went to university uh, to study chemistry in Belfast that I began to learn a lot more about other countries and about uh, Christians there. And for whatever reason, God particularly seemed to lay persecuted Christians on my heart. And this was just at the end of the Soviet era. Berlin Wall had come down before I went to uni, but Albania and, and the Soviet Union were still in existence. And so we were praying for those countries to open up and I met a Kosovan uh, Albanian believer. And even though she was from Serbia, most of Albania was still communist. And so mm. through praying for those. And then also I remember Samuel Lam, who is a well-known pastor who's now with Jesus from China. Um, we were praying for him often because he was in uh, prison in those days and just being moved by the plight of my fellow brothers and sisters around the world who, who were facing persecution. And that's really how God made me very aware of, of what was happening in the rest of the world.
1: Wow. Yeah, kind of quite a, I guess, up a time of upheaval in sort of the global the global scene, and yeah, amazing to be exposed to to that that time in in history, and and perhaps yeah, as you say, he, hear about those who are who are struggling as they try to follow Jesus, and uh, yeah, wanting to make him known in those contexts. Skipping forward a, a little bit, perhaps from then, although perhaps directly following on, I'm, I'm not entirely sure of the story myself. I'm enjoying these conversations with people from the office because it's, it's funny the things I don't know about people I've known for years. Um, but um, how, how did you go from following Jesus, studying chemistry, um, praying for, for the world and for those who are struggling to actually uh, ending up heading out to Russia uh, with OM, Operation Mobilization, uh, who you spent years uh, in Russia with. How did that come
0: about? It's it's one of those stories that, you know, in hindsight, I can see God weaving, but I had an interest in, in Russian and uh, history, I think, and that first got me interested in Russia. But when I was studying chemistry at that stage, I mean, my plans were to finish my degree, do a PhD in chemistry and become a researcher. But I was starting to pray with a friend of mine at university called Andrew, who eventually ended up working in north africa and spain uh with om and we were really praying about what god wanted for our futures and uh andrew said well why don't we pray that god would block the things that he doesn't want you to do so i stupidly prayed that prayer but uh the um praying really about this whole issue of support raising because i was praying about should i go to missions or not and that was one of the issues andrew and i were praying about and I didn't come from a background where churches were giving support, that there were missionaries in, in my sending church initially, and I didn't have experience of people stepping out in faith and seeing God provide, and so I was quite nervous about that, and so as I was praying about it, God really intervened quite dramatically. So one night in a dream, um, if you can imagine that you're in Northern Ireland or Scotland and it's it's wet and damp and misty, and I'm standing on top of a hill And God says to me, the valley below is called faith, but I can't see the bottom of this valley because it is full of mist. And Mm -hmm. God said to me, you need to step off and trust that I'm going to catch you, but you don't know how far I'm going to let you fall. And Mm -hmm. I woke up realizing God was speaking to me about support that if I stayed in Northern Ireland, I wasn't going to see it all come in immediately. But if I stepped out in faith, it didn't mean it was going to come the next day. And in those days in OM, especially when you went for a few years, you were able to go with with quite little support pledged up front. But then God uh, confirmed that with scripture within a few days from Mark 9.23, which says, Jesus said to him, if you can believe that all things are possible to him who believes. And so God was also backing it up with scripture. And I felt God was really you know saying I needed to step out in faith. So I stepped out in faith, I thought, for one year at that stage and stayed for three initially.
1: Wow. That's, um, yeah, that's a great, great story. And as I say, I, I've not heard um, much of it before. So really, um, yeah, powerful message. So, yeah, I just wonder, is, is there anything that sort of that process itself taught you? Um, obviously, I guess to, to trust God, but, but was there anything else you just learned through that kind of experience of, of him speaking in that way?
0: Well, I think I had also real assurance that it was God's calling, because I think one thing that might at that time and I think other people I've talked to since have of that question, is God really calling me to be involved in missions? Is this just my idea? And not everybody gets as dramatic a call as I did, but that real sense of having wrestling through that that God was very clearly speaking. And particularly when not everybody was exactly on board with me going, but that real sense of, yeah, I should go and God was calling me really sustained me and, and when it wasn't easy at the start and the support wasn't coming in I just I knew God was stretching my faith so that I think that was a big thing as well just to learn that God was, was with me and was pointing me in this direction.
1: So Trevor can you tell us uh, a little bit about uh, how long you were in Russia and also some of the, the ministries that you were involved with while you were there?
0: Sure. Yes. Yeah. So I was in Russia a total of eleven years. So I was three years in ninety from ninety three to ninety six, and then from two thousand and two to two thousand eleven. In between, I'd I'd gone to Bible College. So I was involved in the early days. Actually, in Russia, it was a, it was a little bit like the Wild East. Communism collapsed, and nobody really knew what to do. So we were doing a lot of evangelism training and discipleship, but we were praying a lot and trying things. And then if that didn't work, trying something else um and it was a very exciting time in many ways because there were a significant number of churches planted and people who had never had the chance to hear about jesus before um came to know jesus and and, and we started church well not om but groups we were working with started churches so i was involved in running evangelism discipleship conferences for about five years uh we were receiving teams of foreigners in uh, in the summer so a bit like the omf survey asia program uh i was a receiving coordinator in, in omf harland's in, in effectively for about five years and then also at the end of uh easter sort of well march end of march time we were running a conference for training russians in evangelism and discipleship i was also involved in teaching in a bible college for three years and then i was involved in leadership i was the field director for the last three years i was in russia
1: Great. Quite a lot of uh, different things. Yes, quite a, quite a varied <laughs>
0: things over my 11 years there, yeah.
1: Trevor, one thing I've always appreciated in, uh, in talking to you and, and hearing from times about Russia is you've always won for a good story. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there's a, a particular story uh, from a time that you saw firsthand that the good news um, about, about Jesus' life and, and death and resurrection, that that, that was good news and, and it was good news to Russian people.
0: Yeah, it's, yeah, Russia is a great place for stories, um, and uh, there were many of those. But I was thinking of one in particular, actually. This was uh, with a church that we had run a number of conferences with and had a close association. So Russian churches were very good at doing social ministry, particularly with alcoholics, drug addicts, and um, prisoners. And this church that we worked with, they um, felt that they should try and start a rehab center for drug addicts. So pretty rough, pretty raw, West Siberia, middle of winter, February, they go out into the 30 miles from the city with a tent and a heater and two staff members, two drug addicts to get them completely away from the drugs. Everybody back in the church is praying and they start working with these drug addicts. As the center built up every day, the drug addicts had to go to uh, a Bible teaching whether it was directly gospel presentation or whether it was presentations of different parts of the Bible, people kept praying. There was a lot of prayer for this ministry. And they eventually built up a whole rehab center of uh, five different buildings for accommodation, work centers. And it was this whole thing of how do you demonstrate the gospel that lived out? And people were getting off drugs and staying off drugs. And so there was a lot of Russians who were very suspicious of the evangelical churches in Russia because of propaganda from communism. The communists used to say that when Christians celebrated communion, they were sacrificing babies and that's how they got the blood of Christ. So it was a lot of false propaganda. So they wouldn't go to the church, but Andrei, my son has got off drugs. He's not been able to get off drugs for 10 years. He goes to this rehab center, he gets off drugs and he starts talking about Jesus. I can't deny there's been a change in my son's life. So I want to know who are these Christians. And so people started coming into the church and started coming in contact with Christians because the changed lives of their sons and daughters who'd come to Christ and got off drugs. And the church then had a vision. How do they plant more churches? So first they thought they'd plant more churches. And then they thought, no, we'll send out some of the former drug addicts to start a new rehab center. When they form that center and some people become Christians and we form the church out of that. So they had done that three times by the time I left Russia in 2010. And the final part of that story was the testimony of the local authorities. So at the 10th anniversary of this rehab center, the authority said no one else in our entire region can work effectively with drug addicts and so they built a gas pipeline to every building at the complex they built a road directly into the complex and spent one million pounds from the local yeah. budget to do this because two thousand people had got off drugs and uh during the time of the first 10 years or, yeah so it was it was just this amazing testimony of just seeing how god was using this center and and uh the power of the gospel in transforming lives so that really taught me because i was challenged about this this whole way they were working uh, in social action to see people's lives transformed by the power of the gospel
1: that's uh that's incredible and uh, yeah great to see uh the local people be sort of the ones that kept things moving forwards that it wasn't about you uh, or others from the om team being there and kind of you know we're the foreigners we, we know how we do things but are actually saying no this needs to be led by those who have already come through the, the program and, and the power of that local witness and testimony is really exciting as well. Yeah,
0: it was just amazing to see. Yeah.
1: Um, I'm sure that there are probably too many to list, um, but I wonder if there was one thing that you could share that you think, this is something that I learned from my time in Russia that continues to equip me to follow Jesus today in, in a very different context. But, but what's, what's one thing you cling on to that you learned in that time?
0: Yeah. So when I think of this, there's there was obviously there's a number of things, but I think one key thing was the issue of suffering and a willingness to follow Christ no matter what. And so actually on my first um, visit to Belarus in 93, I met a man who'd spent 20 years in Soviet labor camps because he was a believer. He couldn't bend his knee because of what they'd done to him in the camp. So here were we, a young group of Westerners coming to his village and preaching the gospel. And after we did an evening program, I looked at this man and he was just crying. Tears were coming down his face because young Westerners were coming and and preaching the gospel. And I was just so humbled. I thought, this is the guy who should be preaching, not me, not us. But it was just this reminder of how much he'd suffered. And he was just so excited and so rejoicing that the gospel was being presented in his village. And so that was a real reminder to me, like I have gone through difficult times and many of us have gone through difficult times, but actually, how do I keep growing through suffering and how do I keep following Christ through suffering? So it was a major life lesson for me.
1: Uh, really powerful, powerful story. Thanks for sharing that yeah. Trevor. You're going to kind of skip on again, um, in kind of how your story pans out. Um, you're now back from Russia and um, you're in Kent. I'm in Kent. You're not in Northern Ireland um, and you're now part of, of You came in to oversee a a new ministry, a new work in OMF UK when, when you joined the team. And I just wonder if you could tell us a little bit about, about what that was. And what was it about the idea of that ministry that that really drew you into this this new phase of of work and life?
0: Sure. So I was living in Belfast after I came back from Russia and I was praying about my next role and my my local church were praying about this because at that time uh, it wasn't clear that I could go back to Russia. There'd been changes in the visa Law and different things. And I, I partly blame Nathaniel and Donna Jennings, who are Ireland representatives, because they showed me the role in OMF UK with Bridge Asia. Uh, but as I, I read the role and was thinking about a volunteer ministry and, and working to in, develop this volunteer ministry that OMF was wanting to, to begin, what really drew me to it was a few things. I mean, I love working with people, and I think there was a key element of Bridge Asia about how to develop people and how to invest in them. And particularly, this was a new project, so I was also getting something off the ground, although there was a vision for what it was going to be when I arrived. But that idea of taking something and then working it out, but also building these teams of volunteers, working with our area representatives as they develop teams, identified people who could be involved in that, and developing them to a point where they could be working in the ministry effectively so i think that was one of the key things that drew me to it but also the other side was being back in the uk thinking how could i encourage the uk church in involvement in cross-cultural mission uh because while my previous focus had been in russia there's so many parts of the world where jesus isn't known and one of the key things in omf is we work in a part of the world where there's so many people that have, have never once heard the name of jesus so actually just trying to encourage the uk church uh, to be involved in thinking what is God doing in East Asia and what can we do either to reach East Asians here in the UK or overseas in East Asia.
1: It's really great that there was a, a new role that, that matched up um, your, your passions and, and, and your and your skills and experience uh, to come on board and I think yeah I, some of the things you've shared already kind of I guess show some of the things that you bring to the team. Not so much um, sort of being in, in the wilderness in Russia or, or working with drug addicts. But I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about, about what your current role looks like. What does it involve day to day for Trevor?
0: Sure, so I, I spend quite a bit of time in an office now in, in Kent rather than out in the wilderness, but I do a lot of coaching. So I, I do a lot uh, on Zoom or, or Skype in, in coaching people, seeing how things are going around different parts of the country. Um, Also, when people apply to join Bridge Asia, we interview them. So there's a process for actually selecting the volunteers and then training those volunteers up uh, if they're selected to join a Bridge Asia team. Also, we have uh, time to review what's going on. We run a number of conferences, training conferences. So I'm involved with our area reps in leading those. I also oversee two other areas in the office. One is interns. So we have two interns usually in our office and i oversee the recruitment and the intern program which is either in the communications department or our surveys department and then also uh surveys so i oversee the surveys department Uh, i've got wonderful people who work on that so sometimes i feel that my job is quite easy in that department but cassandra who was in a previous episode of the podcast she leads that team uh but I suppose what I do in that is we've thought about a strategic direction in the last couple of years, so developing that with Cassandra, and then I'm involved in the orientation and debrief and, and preparing people as they go to get ready to go to East Asia.
1: So Trevor, you've mentioned a little bit about, about Bridge Asia, which is what brought you into to LMF, and it's um, the, the volunteer ministry where people can engage uh, in some of the work that we're involved in here in the UK. I wonder, what is your, what's your passion? What's your hope? For the individuals uh, who who think Bridge Asia is is for me, I want to be a volunteer with Erna.
0: Sure. So the Bridge Asia volunteers come from a variety of backgrounds, but I think one of the common themes that they generally have is either a passion for East Asians because they've met them in the UK, or they've been to East Asia and experienced life there and met many East Asians there. And so one of the core things within Bridge Asia we're trying to do is to have an impact locally, to encourage local Christians, how they can be involved in mission and and play a part in order to have an impact among East Asians, whether it's here or in East Asia. And so seeing volunteers come along who have a range of skills, but want to use those in order to be involved in this ministry, to encourage others to play a part in in mission or to discover maybe something that they didn't realise that they could be used in that, they either have skills or giftings they hadn't thought about or they're realizing that they' they just have East Asians on their doorstep and they could actually spend time with them getting to know to them but know them and, and slowly share Jesus with them
1: It's really exciting I wonder if you could give us an, an example of some of the things that the team the team has scattered. Uh, all across the UK. I wonder if you you can probably tell us the exact numbers, Um, but yeah, I just wonder if you can give us a flavor of of what they're up to, what they're involved in.
0: Sure, so I think at the moment, we have about 40 Bridge Asia team members. It varies slightly uh, because people come and people join, or people leave and and people join, but uh, there's a range of uh, things they're doing, Uh, but just some examples. So NextGen is a conference that the Surveysia department has developed for people who are thinking about in future involvement in missions. And two of our Bridge Asia team members in Northern Ireland oversee the conference that's run in Ireland, and they are working with the team there to develop that and help people living there think about their next steps in mission. Uh, people have been involved in organizing prayer groups with Asian meals, so Asian food's very nice, so it's a great drawback, but also <laughs> the serious business of praying as well. So coming together around that and experiencing both food and praying for East Asia. So yeah, then another area is in the north of England. Uh, there's a prayer gathering here there that's happened for the last few years. And, and the Bridge Asia team members have worked with the area reps to develop that north prayer gathering for our prayer group members there. A number of our uh, Bridge Asia team members are mentoring, uh, particularly serve Asia workers as they get ready to go. And then when they come back and are debriefed and think about their next steps in mission. And there's a number of folks who are involved in speaking and presenting mission. So one example of that is Mission Sundays that have been happening in the west of England, where they take a whole Sunday service, both the actual main service and the Sunday school. And so presenting mission to the whole church and getting opportunities to share about what God is doing in East Asia. So those are some of the things that that, uh, Bridge Asia team members are involved in.
1: Yeah, it's been really great to kind of see, not, not quite as hands-on as you, but um, as part of the, the Bridge Asia Conference, we managed to just squeeze that in uh, before lockdown uh, took uh, took place here in the UK. And it was really great just chatting to to a real range of people, different ages and stages of life, from students to retirees. Um, yeah, and from down on the south coast all the way up to, to the north of Scotland. Uh, so it's really exciting to see that work taking place. Um, I wonder, Trevor, one of the great things, I think, in being involved in ministry and and kind of coming alongside other people is that even though we perhaps expect that we're going to be teaching, that we're going to be um, kind of feeding into these people, as it were, which is definitely a big part of Bridge Asia, there's always that reciprocal relationship. And so I just wonder, is there something that you've learnt from those who have become part of the Bridge Asia team, those volunteers who have joined you in, in that ministry, what, what have you been learning from them?
0: Yeah, I think it's a good question, Chris, because I think uh, when you start something like Bridge Asia, you're, you're obviously investing in others, but then you realise that you're coming alongside people who have lots of different life experiences, have either known East Asians for a long time, been involved even in ministry in East Asia, and you recognise there's so much to learn as well from them but then also when they're involved in ministry with people around the country, just seeing their passion for East Asian and seeing some of the ideas they come up. And so I like to encourage everybody within Bridge Asia, but particularly our area reps to, we we need to listen to everybody and see this as a collaborative venture. And so we have a lot to learn and just uh, not assume that we know everything and then are passing on our expertise to others but actually that's been a brilliant thing just to see how those teams have gelled and worked and what we've been able to learn from one another that has then been passed around from team to team. So one of the things I try to do is is say, well, if I've learned something, what the team is doing in Belfast, pass that on to the team in London or in the central belt in Scotland so that the knowledge gets passed around the network and we learn from one another. Mm.
1: Yeah. It's great to be able to, yeah, like you say, to, the the sort of, in some ways, the ministry has almost become its own, its own, its own thing. You kind of got it up and running. And then as people who have joined in, they kind of explore what it, what it can be. Uh, and you've been able to then shape uh, the, the work uh, from that. And as you say, pass on stuff from one team to the next team. It's really cool. Um, Trevor, um, I know that you, you came to UMF with, with quite a lot of experience. Um, you, yeah, lived in Russia and. Um, and you've been following Jesus for, for a number of years by the time you came to the office. But I was wondering, have you learned anything new, uh, perhaps, particularly about, about the gospel, um, about what it means to be a follower of Jesus? What What's the new things that you've learned in your time as part of the RMF UK office? Yeah,
0: it's a good question, because I think you can always be learning things. But I think one thing I hadn't really expected to learn was the breadth of ministry that's going on in East Asia so where I think where some of our folks who are out with OMF in East Asia are working in different environments for example fish farms coffee ministry where they're growing coffees and, and have a business that's uh, a viable business and, and producing things also the area of climate change and, and particularly in places like the Philippines where where the environment is being very badly damaged by uh, the changing climate and thinking, what is our response as Christians to all these things? And the idea that we come ac- alongside with the church in East Asia into communities and share all of our lives uh, and using these different ways to, to get alongside people and then be able to share Jesus slowly. So I think that's been quite a challenge just to recognise that, that the different ways in East Asia, particularly as it's developed economically, and so these vibrant hubs and mega cities of East Asia and just having to think constantly with the rapid change there, how we do ministry and how we serve alongside the church there in order to see people come to know Jesus.
1: Yeah, I think it's really exciting. I think for me, it's that, uh, that part of the, the mission statement which is perhaps not the most exciting thing to ever talk to somebody about your organization's mission statement. Um, but I think that that part of the gospel in all its fullness um, yeah. is, is actually it's a really exciting thing. Um, and, I, and I like in some ways that it's perhaps slightly ambiguous. Um, but it needs some unpacking and uh, yeah some of the things you've shared i think are, are are touching on that that is the gospel is is full and vast and um, it affects yeah areas of life all all over the world in different ways so thanks for sharing that trevor um and i wonder I know that you're one to sort of be wrestling through things and, and thinking about new things. And I, I think that's been clear as as you've shared that, that you, you're on this journey and you know you sort of never really reach, reach the end of what it means uh, to be a follower of Jesus. There's always new things to learn. I wonder what's one thing that you found we need to be thinking about and um, wrestling through when it comes to to sharing Jesus Um, with other people, whether that's just across the street, whether it's with our friends and neighbours, or whether it is um, going across the world. What's something that that you think we need to wrestle through this?
0: For me, it's a lesson that I learned in Russia um, about sharing all of my life with people. And what I mean by that is inviting people into my home, inviting people into all of my life. And I remember a story a friend of mine in Russia, Bill, shared... So he and his family had been uh, got to know this lady who was a Christian and she lived far out of the city of St. Petersburg and couldn't get to church very often. So she came in uh, to stay with them one Saturday night and then went to church with them on the Sunday morning. And she did this over a number of of weeks. And one day on the Saturday evening, uh, Bill spotted that she was crying. So he asked, well, why are you crying? And the lady shared, well, I've been observing your family over these weeks, and I always was told in church this is what family should look like, but I just thought it was preaching. I never actually saw that this was really what family life should be like in anybody's home that I visited. And suddenly she saw this being modeled by this family, and she could see, and they hadn't been aware of this, they hadn't been doing anything special, but just by living their lives in front of this lady and just doing normal family things as a Christian family, that had really modeled to her what a Christian family could look like. And I think that was a big lesson to me. And because the Russians were so hospitable at bringing people into their home and being hospitable, I learned that lesson. So I enjoy cooking, but bringing people into my home, it doesn't have to be anything spectacular, but just uh, having fellowship together. But people see your life and particularly non-Christians, for them to come along and see, Trevor's not just meeting me on the street and saying, this is what my life is like, but this is what his home is like, this is what it is. And for many cultures around the world, that intimacy in someone's home says a lot. They will invite others in, but they often find that Westerners don't do that, so they don't ever get into a home in the UK or they don't ever get into a home in other Western countries, Of particularly of, of people who who'd been living here for a long time, rather than diaspora communities that have have moved into the country over the the years. And so that I think for me has been something that challenged me, but also I continue to think about as I've moved around and God has led me different places, how can I share my life? And hopefully through that sharing, people will start asking questions of why do I live my life that way? And that will grow into deeper conversations about the hope I have in Jesus
1: thanks trevor that's that's really helpful i mean it's also really challenging <laughs> um, I think perhaps e- even just culturally maybe it's just me um, this kind of sometimes feels easier or, or more convenient to to keep people kind of at arm's length um, but I think you're right as as we um, yeah get into people's homes and and let people into our homes that is when we can really start to kind of unpack life and i I know from my own personal testimony um, that, that that's been a really powerful thing in my life when um, yeah older Christians particularly have been willing to yeah to let me see them in in all of life um, not not just at the times when they're convenient uh, but being willing to to welcome us in and see them in in their kind of less than perfect situations um, but also be willing to, to meet us in our less than perfect situations as well so that's that's a really great challenge well that's kind of the end of, of Formal questions, but it's always good just to give our, I a chance to say anything else that perhaps is is on their heart and um, that they they want to share. So just wonder if you have any other closing things that you'd like to to share, Trevor.
0: I suppose the one thing that I think about, particularly as we've been in this lockdown time and coming out of lockdown, is just the the blessing for me. It's been to have more time to spend with God because I think in the busyness of ministry. we can get so involved what we're doing in ministry and we forget that actually we we want to spend time with God and sometimes I think people have this idea that missionaries are these super spiritual people who don't ever get this wrong or don't ever get so busy in ministry they forget about God but just to actually be reminded that I get to spend time with Jesus and I get to spend time in communion with him and so that's been a great reminder and blessing for me in, in in my situation of these um days of lockdown. And I suppose just an encouragement, hopefully for others to think about our communion with God and that we we, we need to keep focusing on God. And out of that flows everything else we do.
1: Brilliant. That's really, really helpful. Um, and uh, just earlier in today, Trevor was sharing a little bit um, on, on a similar theme. And uh, that was that was really helpful. So So yeah, thanks, Trevor. It's a really important reminder that yeah. Again, back to that that theme that seems to have kept coming out of this journey idea, and we're always learning, and we're always growing, and there's always more to discover, and there's always more trusting to be done, and and more time to be sought with with our Lord. So, so thanks for sharing that, and uh, thanks for giving up um, some of your afternoon to join us on the podcast. It's been really great to to hear from you, and I'm sure everyone listening will have will have learned something and have some really helpful things to take away. So thanks for joining us. Well,
0: thanks very much for having me on. It's been great to join you on the podcast today, Chris. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode
1: of the Surve Asia podcast. We love hearing from our listeners, so why not get in touch? You can find us over on Instagram, we're at Podcast, or get in touch by email, uk.podcast at omfmail.com com. It's great if you can share the podcast with your friends or leave us a review on your favourite podcast platform. But for now, thanks again so much for listening and we'll see you on the next episode.